welcome to uh, thank you and uh, for joining the ESBC Sports Betting and Financial Podcast. Uh, we are part of the ESBC Podcast Network. I'm Jason Maverick. I'm here with Josh Abner, and today we're going to be talking about wagering and the math uh, involved in uh, wagering, as well as uh, the different types of bets. Um, so first off. We'll go into uh, how how lines work, and uh, we'll talk about first the straight bet. Uh, so amid all the fancy and lucrative bets that are available, uh, never lose sight of the value in a standard straight bet. You probably should learn and practice this bet often before learning any others, and it should be noted that people who bet for a living or, uh, or place uh, many frequent bets uh, place a larger amount of them on straight bets almost exclusively. The straight bet is pretty simple. It pays uh, 11 or, or 10, uh, dash 10, and uh, you could place one uh, by picking a, a team, also known as a side over, over and under for points in a game, also known as the total. So, for example, you would bet $55 to win 50 or $110 to win $100, and so on. And again, um, and this is a Josh Abner, MBA, uh, United States local corruption expert, now financial services rep by day. We got this great podcast going. We got Jason in Toronto. So he's going over uh, the straight bets, right? And like he said, it's $100. Uh, you get 90 back if you win, right? If it's 110. To make it simpler, if you bet $110, you get 10 bucks back. And the $10 goes to the casino and to the sports book as profit, right? And that's a big lie they tell you that all they want is that $10. That's not, they want the whole $100. They want, what they want to do is have a system to manipulate it where they take all your money. Great job, Jason. Keep going. Yeah, so the, the other, uh, I guess, line you could talk about here is the money line bet. Right. So if you're not interested in betting the point spread, although you should be uh, because it presents the best long-term value, another option available is the money line in which you lay or take odds relative to the dollar with respect to your team winning or losing. Right. Would you right. Like I would disagree a little bit with that. I would always go with the money line. If you can, because the money salesmen think short term, right? And then uh, business women think long term. Business men think long term. And the my money line has a higher percentage, right? So you're making a decision using probability theory between the money line. And then the straight bet, right? And those, um, we'll have it in the episode notes for those listening to on the podcast. And for those watching the live video stream, you can see the whiteboard. So the straight bet will be what I call a minus or plus number, right? And for each sport, right, for uh, NBA, 
MLB, and NFL, it's a different process for each part. So we're going over the basics, right? We're showing you what the problem is betting, right? We're telling you there is a problem, and it's the math. 50% of betting is math. The other 50% is knowing who's playing, who's the better team, who's the better coach, so on and so forth. The other 50% is math, and that's what we're going to be presenting to you today. Good job, Jason. Keep going. Yeah, so we, we'll talk now about parlays. So these uh, might be the most popular bets out there, especially among novice and amateur bettors. Right. Uh, perhaps because of the lure of betting. Betting is for suckers. Betting is for idiots, morons. Betting uh, parlays is how the casino takes all your money easier. And what is a parlay, Jason? Uh, you, you know, it's uh, it's uh, it's it involves wagering on two games or more right. on the same bet following the casino's predetermined payout scale. Each game on a parlay must win for the bet to be a winner. Right. So what happens is you think you have, uh, again, we go back to perception being 50-50 and improbability theory, right? Uh, your top is 80% on a confidence model. That's why you really shouldn't win more than 80% of your bets. If you're higher than this, that means that all you're doing is doing research and eliminating uh, variables and co-variables because, again, we'll reiterate and we'll make sure it's on the top 10 rules of betting. But the way you ensure a result in finance, the way Jason and I would pick a stock or an investment is by eliminating variables and co-variables. Because by eliminating variables and covariables, right, you ensure a result. So in sports betting, 80% is your top, right? So if you want to parlay five games, what ends up happening? You get four right. And the return you get is zero money. However, if you bet the games individually, right, and you bet $100 each game, you win uh, $95. And, Jason, can you get a calculator out? Yes, of course. All right, so multiply 95 times 4. It's going to be 380. So you win 380. Minus $100 in the game you lost equals $280. So what's better, Jason, for you? And then what's better for the casino? Parlay, you got zero. Bidding each game individually, you got $280. I would take the 280 there, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> in the parlay, right? Parlay is good for the casino. Right? That's why parlays are for 
suckers, right? And I had to learn the hard way because I thought I knew a lot. And so many times I got six out of seven, four out of five, three out of two. <laughs> you know what I mean? So even easier, if you make uh, three bets, right, and you make two, that's 180 minus one, you got $80 profit. And that's what we're here about, profit, right? Because then the other part of it is compound interest. That's what we want, right? When you sell a whole life policy, you're getting compound interest on all the money that's going into the insurance company. So the way we get compound interest with us, right, with our system is, should we have it on there for later? Uh, break even is 52.5%, right? We're at 70 to 80%. Right now we're at 80% uh, NBA playoffs, all right? So the gap between 52.5% and 70% by being consistent, right? The reward for being consistent is compound interest. On this process. Right? So that's why Anna has been able to buy what? up to $32,000, right? The average salary of somebody in Saskatchewan and has bought gasoline on in 2011 with this process, right? And then functional factors. For, for Anna, who doesn't even watch sports, who hates sports, except the only sports I can get her to are uh, uh, boxing and hockey because of the fighting, she likes violence. For her, the value of me betting is her buying gas, and then she says she feels better buying an expensive purse or a dress using betting money than our savings or anything else to buy something expensive. And gas, it makes her feel better. Her feeling better is a psychological factor because this is the value equation. What is value? People lie about it a lot. It's psychological factors plus functional factors divided by time and money. So Anna's getting a lot of value here, right? She's getting her gas filled in her car, makes her feel better, makes her feel better buying an expensive purse, right? Or an expensive dress, which is under psychological factors, the feeling belt, the lack of guilt. And then she's not spending any money and not spending any money, and then the time, I'm the one watching the games, right? But that's a good trade, so I can have fun watching games unless Lifetime movies. I'm enjoying watching the games. And this is the other part of it is, right? For a psychological value for me, 
is that I don't have the pressure trying to get five out of five. If I get four out of five, that one game that I missed, I don't care about. It. I'm laughing about. It. Like uh, I missed a game last night. We're 80% NBA. And I was three out of four last night. And I made profit. So when Porzingis got kicked out of the game last night from the maps, <laughs> and then at the end, Luca, I enjoyed watching Luca play. Even though I lost the bet, lost money on that game. I enjoyed it, right? The whole process has a lot more value to me because I was laughing with Sarah and Brianna last night watching the game instead of gripping, instead of throwing to ah, Porzingis got thrown out. Ah, oh, you know, I'm sitting there laughing. Oh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's a huge psychological advantage in the whole process of watching sports. Man, do we have it down, Jason, huh? It's an art and a science. We can get specific all day, every day. <laughs> how much fun we have watching the games and also monetizing the games. For so, sure. Oh, yeah, what was the rest of the what you have on the data on parlays? Oh, there's also the, the house vigorish and right. your chances Very of winning. Um, you know, they get worse with the more teams that you add. So right. while some sport books will let you place a 15-teamer with astronomical odds, you right. probably have a better chance of being struck by lightning twice uh, <laughs> before winning one. Right. You, you are much better off uh, sticking to two team parlays exclusively if you insist on taking poor odds and placing parlay wagers. Exactly. Now you do those for fun, you know. I almost hit one that was like 13, but then again, that's what it is. Almost. You're gonna hear a lot of almost. You know, for actually to be a business, what you have to do is read the top 10 rules of betting, right? Apply that process, but equal amounts on every game, okay? And um, bet equal amounts on every single game. And never bet more than 25% of your bankroll. And never parlay. Parlays are for morons, right? For idiots. For suckers. Parlays are for suckers. Any more on the basics? And uh, the other one there, uh, Josh, is teaser bets. You know, the teaser is so named because it too looks tempting. But right. if you allow yourself to get too seduced, you'll usually end up on the losing edge. The teasing bet gives or takes away extra points from your team you back. Um, there are some good values with teaser bets if you know how and where to find them. Uh, for instance, the six-point teaser, especially effective bet in NFL where most games are tightly contested and six points can make a world of difference. Yeah, no, teasers and parlays and all that stuff are for suckers. And you just want to avoid those like the plague and follow the process we have uh, that you pick games the same way you pick stocks using business and financial 
principles to be able to do so. And decision science that we're going to talk about later in the podcast. Yes, yes, of course. And then uh, you found it very interesting looking at Vegas Insider, right? Yes, I did. Yes, just uh, there's so many uh, different uh, data with regards to the different games being played, different sports. So it's a very, uh, very interesting website. And then the thing, the big part about it, which will be good that you're starting looking at it, is that every dip, uh, everybody can have their own opinion, right? But not everybody can have their own facts. Okay, and each casino has an opinion on the game, right? And each online sports book has their opinion on the game. So what you do is you come up with decision science. You use business and financial principles to come up with an analysis on the game. Once you do that, after you've done that, it's almost like a math problem, right? Well, you have to uh, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. I remember going to differential equations. The highest math you can take before going to MIT, and the teacher goes, listen, all you have to do is please excuse my dear Aunt Sally on every problem. doesn't matter if, if it's problems from one board. I guess I'm old because you use boards and those things. Uh, it doesn't matter if the problem is from one end of the board to the other one. You use the same process. For each thing, and you can't do things out of order. It has to be in the exact order. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. And I'm like, why didn't they not tell me this in kindergarten? <laughs> this would have solved so much drama doing math problems. That's all you do to fix every single problem ever before you can go to MIT. And I could not go to MIT because I didn't qualify to go to MIT. But if you want to do the highest math, they'll give at the University of South Florida mm -hmm. or your basic universities. That's all you have to do. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally in order. Same thing for sports betting. Sports betting at the end of the day, all it is is a math problem. That's why 50 to almost 60% of sports betting is math. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, right? If it's not in president, you go to exponents. If it's not exponents, you go to multiplication. If it's not multiplication, my dear Aunt Sally, you go to division. Ant, you add, and if you can't add it, you subtract it, and you go bam, right? Rinse and repeat. For sports betting, it's using business and financial processes, right? You use uh, probability theory. You use statistics, return to the mean. You use arbitrage, right? Uh, you use uh, understanding the, po the politics of it, understanding that the referees are paid by the league, okay? So with that being said, when you understand the political side of it, you have to understand that it parallels exactly the way securities markets work the way the SEC, FINRA, what's it called in Canada? Uh, every province has a different uh, name, you know, so. <laughs> well, it's chaos know. in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The C in Canada yeah. is for chaos financially. Yes, yeah, crazy. Yeah. And that's another podcast. We should do a podcast when it's uh, over after football season. China, finance, and Canada. Yeah. 
because each one of those boards police the Chinese, and the Chinese get away with a lot. But uh, here it's, you know, you have FINRA, you have uh, the SEC, this is on top of FINRA. It's parallel, except that each market is deeply flawed and corrupt, <laughs> but the sports market is very visibly corrupt. So we don't cry that it's unethical, it's corruption. What we do is we monetize it. We leverage it. We use the fact that the sports market is a very clearly obvious inefficient market that it's hard for them to hide the inefficiencies, right? So one inefficiency is that the referees are paid by the leagues. So what does that mean to us making money? We can predict how they are going to arbitrate, right? So what does that mean? What it means to me when I go to a business concierge case, right? And they say, let's go to arbitration. Who's paying for arbitrators? I'm paying for the arbitrator. Why? Because the arbitrator, since I'm paying him, is going to decide in my favor 100% of the time. <laughs> That's just life, right? Yes. You don't believe in the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. That's where life is. And good people on the other side say, no, no, we're going to pay for half. Why do they want to pay for half? Because they want to have a fair arbitration hearing, right? So, by definition, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, they do not have a fair arbitration arbitration system so what does that mean that we have been able last 12 years to monetize the fact that the referees the umpires have chosen and it's usually three or four calls if you want reference read the tim donahue book he was an nba referee and nothing's changed since tim donahue wrote that book right 95 percent of people uh, lack the capacity to change. 95% of people uh, die within 30 miles radius of where they were born. 95% of people die with the same religion their parents have. If they're Mormon, they die Mormon. If they're Catholic, they die Catholic. If they're Baptist, they die Baptist, right? So referees haven't changed. The leagues haven't changed since Tim Donahue wrote that book. So you make money um, predicting. Last night, perfect example, should have gone with the Clippers because the Clippers are building a new billion dollar arena. So is it a shocker, Jason, that the Clippers got all the calls last night with the referees who are paid by the league? No shocker, no shocker. Right. So... Those, those are the elements, right? You stack them up to what? To eliminate variables and covariables that ensures a result. And for us, the result is getting 80% of the games right. So those are tools in your toolbox, business and financial principles to ensure a result. Make sense? Exactly, exactly. So another tool is decision science. And we're gonna play 
uh, a clip. Actually, we're going to play the whole thing. It's only like 15 minutes, but we'll stop it. Uh, a clip of a podcast, Harvard Review, of the guy who invented decision science. Then on top of arbitrage, top of return to the mean. All right. Uh, return to the mean, the guy from uh, the sports betting professional who won all that money on, on, um, on Jeopardy, right? He uses just return to the mean. All right. Uh, that's another tool in your toolbook. Arbitrage is another tool to your tool belt. And it's different arbitrage than uh, the arbitrage that they use in Europe. This one is straight out of the book, all right? Uh, and then you have decision science. So we'll play that clip with decision A century science. ago, coined the term decision analysis. Ron, welcome to IdeaCast. Pleasure to be here. So it's 1964. Where did this decision analysis come from? Well, it came from my being out here at Stanford for a sabbatical year away from MIT, which was my, my academic home at the time. And uh, I had an opportunity during that year, I was primarily writing a book, but I had an opportunity to give a course on statistical decision theory at the GE nuclear plant in San Jose. They built uh, nuclear power reactors. And so for a couple of hours, one day a week, I went down there and started teaching this course. Well, what happened was after the uh, first... You can hear him, Jason, right? Yes, of course, yes. Okay. Three weeks of doing this, and it was a course primarily based on the academic theory of decision-making. Uh, one of the people in the course, one of the engineers, said, you know, we have a major decision to make. Uh, could we use what you're talking about to actually make a decision like that? And I said, well, why not? Uh, and let's try it. So for, for several months, we worked on this decision, which was whether to put a superheater on their nuclear power reactor. And we got into all aspects of it from the very technical ones of how, how well would it work? How, what, are, what are the challenges material, for example, of the new design? to the market for it and how much would the customers whom they knew very well all over the world, but particularly in the United States, uh, how much would the customers be willing to pay for this plant with different kinds of uh, more efficiency, but perhaps higher initial cost, that kind of thing. And so we had giant computer models that were run uh, while we waited since there was, there was not no idea of personal computing in those days. And, uh, Finally, we uh, pulled it all together, and what we found was that an issue that they thought was originally important, like whether the, this particular material would last in that use uh, long enough to make it a good idea, uh, that turned out to be not important at all when we finally pinned it down because it could change the design in a way that desensitized it to the life of that material, but that the real question was one of time preference. Would this pay off soon enough to make it a good investment for the company. So something they were not at all initially worried about, the preference issue, uh, turned out to be important, whereas an information issue about the life of the material turned out to be not very important. And you figured this out by how you sort of structured the process? Yes, by representing uh, the decision, including the three major factors, what what alternatives do you have? What information do you have? How, how, does, how does what you do 
change different things, which is uncertain typically, and we model that uncertainty. And then what are your preferences? And so this issue of the discount rate on the payback, that's a time preference issue, as opposed to a risk preference issue, which is do you have the stomach for it, as opposed to can you wait for it? So we call this uh, risk preference as the trade-off between greed and fear. You want more, but you're afraid of losing what you got. Whereas time preference is about greed and impatient. We want more and we want it now. And both of those are important in any decision ethics. All right, so that, that's very important. And it's actually something that I've been missing that I'm glad I got, right? The trade-off between greed and fear. All right. So that's why you got a guy like Bill Belichick and all these guys who face with a big game, they play zone, right? Because they're, they're mitigating their risk and you can predict their behavior, right? Because what's important about people's lack of capacity to change is that you can accurately predict their behavior. And part of your tool belt is fundamental and technical analysis. So fundamental analysis is you are, right? Uh, measuring corporate governance, right? So this is what Bill Belichick is thinking when he's making a decision, right? It's the uh, balancing act, right? It's, the it's opportunity cost, right? Opportunity cost. And then when you talk about greed and fear, we go back to our value chart. Greed and fear is right here. So you can act accurately view, right, the value of the decision the coaches make. As both uncertainty and time in its outcome. Back to 1964. So you do this class with the GE nuclear people, and then it's done, and you think this is something new and interesting that we've put together here? Well, or? actually, see, it wasn't just the class. The class was the excuse, but... Then it became a, you know, several people involved and the analysis going over several months. And then when I wrote it up, I had a chance to write it up and then presented it at a conference at the end of that, end of that academic year, uh, which was the, when I coined the term of decision analysis. And I said, what are you, you going to call it? And I said, well, yeah, I like analysis. And it's, uh, it was called decision analysis colon applied statistical decision theory. Because this was the engineering of a decision. It could have been called decision engineering, but analysis made it clear that, that it, you're not trying to make some decision happen, forcing it, but rather just understanding what the best way to go is. So when you're making a decision this way, you're dealing with the, it's the probabilities, the preferences, I'm trying to think what else in a system. The alternatives. In the alternatives. Or the way I put it is it's what you can do, what you know, which means how what you can do might affect the future, including probabilities. And finally, preferences, what you want in terms of this versus that, now versus the future, and for sure and not so sure. Are there issues if you, you don't know the probabilities and you don't really know your preferences? Well, it's, it's, it is uh, this is a Zen statement that the great road is not difficult for he who has no preference. You see, and this gets down to, do you, do you want to get what you want 
or do you want to want what you get? So if you have no preferences, then you're perfectly happy. So if somebody says to me, do you want to go to the movies? I say, yes. They say, well, do you mean Western? That's fine. Colored, black, black, I don't care. Silent. I don't care what kind of movie it is. As long as there's flickering images on the screen, then I'll be happy no matter what he brings back for me to watch. But you see, we really do have preferences, particularly here in the West. We prefer. Okay, so the insight there that relates to sports betting is that you have to know the probabilities, right? So you have to know the probabilities and you have to eliminate variables and covariables, right? And how do you do that, right? The way you do that is by do number two, doing research on the game, never betting blindly using return to the mean. Those are the tools you have uh, in order to analyze the probabilities of the game so you can legitimately, from a business standpoint, make a decision. Because remember, this is wagering on games using a specific business process. Health to sickness and wealth to, to being poor and so on. So we're kind of stuck in this game of being sure we get what we want rather than saying, hey, whatever I get is just fine. Okay, so we do have preferences sometimes. It's important, right? You need to so what do we want, right? What do we want, Jason? We want more better results, right? Ultimately, better profits, better results. Exactly. So winning 70 to 80% of your games, you're getting compound interest in the margin between 52.5 and 70%. You're getting compound interest. You're enjoying watching the games. You're making money so you feel better buying gasoline and expensive gifts. Right? That's clear. You have to get them out of people, I would imagine. Well, you do have them, and, and once you do, then. So we're not saying it's a great idea to have preferences, but if you have them, then, and you want to get closer to what you want, then, you know, no better way of doing it than using this logic that we're talking about. What about probabilities when you're deeply uncertain? Well, actually, if you're completely uncertain, that's the best case. So if somebody's asking me to bet on the toss of a coin, heads or tails, I'm going to sign general, that's the guy's a magician, 50-50. So that's easy for me. So see, is that a lot of uncertainty, or have I got the uncertainty well characterized? I'm ready to go. I, I guess that's the question. It's when you don't think you know the probabilities, I guess. Well, you see, but the whole idea of probability is to be able to describe by numbers your ignorance or equivalently your knowledge. So no matter how knowledgeable or ignorant you have, that's going to determine what probabilities are consistent with that. And then you're going to make your best decision consistent with what you know slash don't know. What kinds right, of so decisions does... Sports betting, that's huge, right? So you have to be honest, and people in sports bettings don't do this, how ignorant you are, right? Uh, you're not on the team. You're not Bill Belichick, okay? So the top of your knowledge on any game is 80%. There are no stone-cold locks. <laughs> You, you know, oh, I'm for sure know this team's going to win. No, you don't. You can only have a, 
uh, a high interval of 80%. So you have to, like he's saying, you have to know your ignorance. Your ignorance is always going to be at least 20%. You're never going to have less than that. I don't care how perception's 50-50, right? Believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. <laughs> this, this is your top, all right? And it's no coincidence that in horse racing, the favorite wins 20% of the time, right? It's the 80-20 rule. And while he's talking, I'll get the, the book if you want to read about the 80-20 rule. Decision analysis best lend itself to? What are the best ones to use? Any decisions involving your money, <laughs> your health. Okay. I once had a student say, uh, well, I can see using this for uh, your financial decisions, but what about the health of your family? And I said, well, if, if I had to choose one area in which I could use it, it was the only one, I'd say the health of my family, that's the most important thing for me. And I'd get some financial advisor to manage my money. But in fact, it applies to any decision. So any decision where you're allocating a resource, your body being a resource, it only doesn't apply to where there is no resource. So deciding who to love somebody, might as well love them because you've got an infinite supply and you want to get more by exercising it. So you never have to make a decision about whether to love somebody or not. Bringing I would disagree with that. Business focus. Oh, there's no love in business. Uh, you can lose a lot of money loving the wrong person. <laughs> How would I 100% di disagree with a professor? We'll, we'll circle back to love. <laughs> the love of money, perhaps, the root of all evil. <laughs> what are the areas in, I mean, you started doing this project with a nuclear power group. Yes. And what are the other areas in which this approach has had the most success, had the most uptake? Well, the two biggest areas, I think, of, of use are, first of all, uh, oil and gas companies. And the, the second biggest, I think, would be pharmaceutical companies. And if you think about why those areas, they both have this characteristic of, first of all, billions of dollars often to get a successful drug or, or for an oil field. Secondly, a long time between making the decision and seeing how it worked out. And thirdly, a lot of uncertainty. So if you put those three together, that's prime hunting ground for decision analysis. Any fields that you think ought to be using it a lot more than they are? Well, when you say using it, you see, once you start thinking this way, and it's a matter of what I call getting clarity of thought about things, because that's a challenge. Once you have clarity of thought, you would use it everywhere you could. I mean, every day, and, you know, no matter how simple it is. Now, you, don't, you don't have to run giant computer programs to make most of the decisions we face. So even the people who do this for a living are not you know, running giant programs to figure out which pizza to order when they go to the pizza parlor. But the concepts are always there. And being able to think clearly in terms of these concepts will make most decisions for you right away. And if then it gets complicated, you may get into computation and specification preference and so forth. Here right. in the middle of so, so that's a, a big part of it, right? Uh, I'm as, as much as I would love to say, oh my God, I'm 80% on MBA. No, 
the decision was made for me by the circumstances and the probability. As much as I would like to say, Josh came up with those pick of it, no, actually the process and the system. And the thing. So that's a little bit of less of a psychological factor because you can't be all ego about it that it's you. It's really the, the process and it is not the decision you want necessarily. It's just the decision that presented itself based on the math. Silicon Valley, the huge industry that has grown up here over the past 30 years, I'm sure there are areas like building semiconductors where people make have a decision process just like in oil. Oh, yeah, Fab building big fabrication facilities, very expensive, and, you know, competitive elements. Which part is going to grow? Is it going to be the CPUs or is it going to be the storage areas? Yeah, those are the areas, and people do use it. But much of the ethos of Silicon Valley right now is, oh, I'm just going to try something, and if it doesn't work, I'll try the other thing and try the other. Well, it's fine as long as you're not spending billions of dollars. But when you build a fab plant, you know, for silicon wafers, that's a lot of resources being put in a spot on the earth, very expensive resources. And while they're to some extent, uh, you might say, flexible and being used for some other purpose, not really. I mean, you're not going to make washing machines in a fab plant. So it's a big commitment, and usually for some period of time. Things that look a bit like decision analysis have been used a lot in the financial world over the past few decades as well. I think some very successfully, others less so. Is there anything about financial markets that makes this process harder? Well, I guess it's whether you believe that the stock market is a a random walk, and we we see those all the time. You know, people say, "Well, you know, I threw darts at the uh, stocks, and here's what I invested in." And, and you know, you see that a lot of it is just chance. In other words, your ability, the market probably has a lot of information built into it already. The chance that you're going to do better than it, whether it's the stock market or the commodities market, is pretty slim. I remember once working for a company that used an awful lot of copper. And they had, they had someone who... And that's where I would say that uh, he uh, is wrong as far as that's concerned. Because it's the whole battle between technical analysis and fundamental analysis, right? And right now, uh, you can beat the market all the time. But I think it's like everything else. It's an art and a science where you use a combina combination of both. And then real intelligence is situational intelligence, right? And it just depends on the situation. What do you think, Jason? Exactly, right? It's about, it's about, you know, making sure that you're making the right choice if you can, because if you're losing a lot, you're going to be losing your bankroll, right? You don't want to right. be losing a lot. You want to be making smart uh, decisions and trying to win, trying to maximize uh, value, maximize profits as much as you can. Yeah, and I hate the word try. I had a client the other day that went, I'm like, well, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, we're going to do this. <laughs> so you're going to make profits. So you're going to use a process. You're going to use a system. Now, the sports betting market is a lot simpler. You have a lot less, ver right? How many companies are there in uh, Canada on the traded on the Canadian stock exchange? 
a couple thousand for sure. Uh, and there's only 30 NFL teams. So if if you had to make a decision, Jason, whether to analyze 2,000 Canadian companies or analyzing 30 NFL football teams, which one is a lot easier to get through the analysis? Well, the definitely the the football teams, especially if you like football, right? Uh, it's going to be a lot more fun, you know. <laughs> a lot more fun and fast. But the problem is, right, for the Canadian stock market, is that you can make more money, right, analyzing the outcomes of those thirty NFL football teams than the Canadian stock market, for now at least. Uh, would report back to them on the railroad leading to a copper mine in Zambia just all the time. You know, if anything happening where the workers are on strike, oh, well, okay, that's going to change that. So you're competing with someone with that kind of information when you get into the copper market. So, yeah, some people are much better informed than others. So it's in the information more than the process that ends up winning out. Well, the people with better in. All right. Uh, the very important one he says right there. That's why the number. Two rule of betting is never bet blindly and always do your research because this is very important and this is very important to the value of the pro podcast as well. Right here, Let's see if we go back. it's basically saying the people with a better information are the people who get the best outcomes. So you're competing with someone with that kind of information when you get into the copper market. So yeah, some people are much better informed than others. So it's in the information more than the process that ends up winning out. Well, the people with better information, you know, are the ones who are going to do better. So unless you're right in that business and you know as much as anybody about it, you wouldn't be wise betting against them. Back to using this in personal life or just in your, in your career as right. an individual, what are some of the ways in which you've done that over the years? Well, let me tell you the most important thing about this whole field in terms of the takeaway. And I tell us, and that's why uh, this podcast, I feel is the greatest podcast of all times because people with the best information get the best outcomes, right? Right, Jason? Of course, of course, and anything in life. And we've got the best information. So as a result of us having the best information, you and I are going to make the most money betting on sports. Bottom line, very, 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 very clear. For the people, you know, they, if they come to the first class and they may be shopping for classes, and I say, look, you have to leave, take this one thing away. And that is you can't tell the quality of the decision you're making by the outcome that will be produced. Or to put it another way, you can't tell by the outcome whether you made a good decision. So you can have good decisions having bad outcomes or good outcomes, and bad decisions having good outcomes or bad outcomes. And it's just it's just a logical mistake to say, I got the good outcome, I must have made a good decision. And yet that's what everybody thinks. So in, in sports particularly, you'll see a situation, say, in football, where the uh, coach has decided to run for the two-point conversion. It's at the end of the game, you know, he wants to be sure he gets two instead of one, and it doesn't work. And the announcer says, ah, that was a bad decision. <laughs> it's completely illogical. You can't tell whether it was a 
good decision by how it came out. Well, and that's something there are some economists and statisticians who for the past five or 10 years have been trying to persuade the football coaches that it well, actually is. All right, so, so that's very, very interesting point. And uh, Jason, we, we talked about it last week. And then after he finishes that thought, because this is a huge point, right? And huge uh, way that we can educate people, make people a lot of money, and it really help them with the psychological part of it is that your top is 80, right? And really, if you want to measure luck, you can measure it by this number. If you know what you're doing and you've done your research, your luck percentage is like 20%. So we'll let him finish with that point that we made last week. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Jason, because it's very, very crucial uh, to the enjoyment of sports betting and explaining sports betting. Better decisions this, this is much more. Any decision, and, and, and let's take in medicine. There's something that people used to say. Uh, and it's very interesting listening to this again. It really uh, hits home with COVID-19 and decisions that we're making on a macro level about our health and then on a micro level about our health. And using decision science. We hear a lot about science and data. Well, this is decision science, right? Whether to take the vaccine or not, whether to social distance, whether to wear a mask, you know, all these things. Sort of as a joke in medicine, the operation was a success, but the patient died. There again, the operation could have been done perfectly. It could have been a good decision to have the operation, and sometimes patients die. <laughs> Not because you left the knife in them or something, but just <laughs> that's what happens sometimes. So do you judge the quality of the decision by the process that was used? Exactly. To get to it? The, the correctly encodes, first of all, has the right frame. The frame is the most important thing, and it's the one that's talked about the least. See, so if you think of uh, moving to Palo Alto and you say, I'm going to rent a place, that's a completely different frame from I'm going to buy a place. So different information, different preferences, different alternatives. Are going to, so until you get the frame right, and the frame could be even bigger. You know, I'm going to rent or buy, I'm looking at them both. So that's the most important thing, get the frame right. So otherwise, you're going to get the right answer to the wrong problem. Once you get the frame right, then it's a matter of characterizing the alternatives you have and maybe being creative about them. If you can be, sometimes you can, sometimes. All right. Categorize alternatives. In sports betting, it is eliminating variables and covariables to ensure a result. It's being kind of stuck with what you've got. Unlikely you're going to be telling the eye surgeon a new way to operate on your eyes. I mean, probably not. Then you're going to have to say, okay, what are the chances of different things happening from, you know, dying from the operation to being cured to having, or if it's by drugs instead of side effects. So that's all characterizing the information that you've got. And finally, you've got the preferences. You know what? You've got different states of health and you value those preferences, which is best. In other words, Questions that get down to you, would you rather have a punch on the jaw or a kick in the shin, right? That's kind of depends on the situation, right? And how big the other person is. So, yeah, so once you've got these three things. In sports betting, when you break down, it's how much money you're going to bet, right? So the process for us is you never bet more than 25% of your bankroll. If you really like a game, we suggest uh, betting uh, equal amounts on each game. So you double up if you really like a game. Because you know that your top is 80% not 100%. What you call the decision basis, what you can do, what you know, and what you want, and you're dealing in the right frame, 
you're good to go. The rest is just logic. Ron, thanks again for talking with us. It's been a pleasure. So what are your thoughts, Jason, on the whole, uh, the operation was a success, but the patient died? You know, it, it, it's something where uh, that's the thing about life is you could do everything correctly and still the outcome is is unpredictable, right? right. And uh, and uh, I guess that that's the that's the the mystery as well in 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 right. uh, sports and in uh, business and in life right. is unexpected things happen just like this pandemic, right? Before. Right. Uh, the pandemic, the U.S. economy was at the the best state ever right. in history, and it was roaring. It was really roaring, and unfortunately, the pandemic it caught everyone off guard. Uh, no one no one knew what what uh, was gonna happen, and uh, it really it, it shook the whole world. It shook the whole world. So, uh, this is kind of the thing: is uh, you know making decisions, important decisions is is very important but also uh you know leaving that uh having that understanding that anything could happen anything could right. happen at any time to any person uh in any way right so yeah so i, I i'll tell you what man i don't think anybody can ever get a podcast a podcast series where we go into every single minute detail right on how we get 80 percent seven days or eight percent going through this process jason i'm going to ask you this question going through the process of the last podcast right uh when you think about it is it how is it that they get 70 to 80 percent right how can they not <laughs> using this process and analyzing uh the limitations and inefficiencies in the sports betting market For sure. And it's, uh, you know, once again, to all the, the new listeners, you know, it's important to check out the website and, and read the 10 rules of betting, right. right? So that they could get the foundation in place of uh, of of how how it works and how we make our picks. Yeah. And I've been working on it 12 years and I got some new information that I'm going to add on to it. So it's a comprehensive uh, legacy type document that I think... I think at the end of it, they can put it in the uh, Smithsonian Institute mm -hmm. for sports betting. Because everything is, uh, and I think the pandemic has, you know, no sports. It, you know, you've been able to reflect and have perspective, right, on things that happen. In my 50 years of life, since I've been probably conscious, probably seven years, last 43 years have been interesting, you know, perspective-wise. Uh, the first incident for me was Reagan getting shot in 1982 by a guy who was in love with Jodie Foster and was mimicking the taxi driver. Then from there, we went, you know, you had Iran-Contra and you had all that. Uh, the United States, the CIA bringing crack into the poor neighborhoods to use, to buy arms for different rebels around the country or around the, 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 the world. And then you go from that, you go to the 1988 crash, right? Bush, uh, read my lips, no new taxes. He raises taxes. He loses to Clinton. Then you have the internet bubble. Then you go from the internet bubble to 9-11 and the wars 
And then you go from 9-11 and the war, you know, before you had the Oklahoma bomber, they kind of started that whole thing. And Columbine started the shootings at the high schools. A little before then, then you had 9-11, then you have the endless wars in the Middle East. Then you have, uh, it started with Eric Gardner, I Can't Breathe. Uh, you had Sarah Bland, who moved from Kansas City to Texas for a new job, new start in life. She gets a new job. She gets over by police and she ends up dead. Horrible incident. If you want to see the body cams on that, very interesting because the cop never went to jail. You go Idalo, where cops put a broom up his ass. In New York, it was horrible. Then you go to uh, 2009 crash. You get Obama as president. Now you get George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Mont Arbery. And it's just the combination of all that says to a lot of the minority communities around the world, no more, man. We can't take this anymore. <laughs> it happens too much. And it's not just in the United States. You had London. You had what shocked me was New Zealand <laughs> going out to the streets in Australia. It's a human thing, right? And then you have the pandemic. So you have perspectives on different times, right? You have the crash of 1928. So the perspective is that there's real institutional inefficiencies in the sports market that when you got a guy like Jason, you got a guy like guys with, we're the most educated population in history. We have the access for the most information. So when you put it together, the sports market, <laughs> sports betting is the least of our problems and kind of easy to kind of figure out. Final thoughts, Jason. Uh yeah, the I guess my final thoughts are, uh, you know, it, it's really important to make good decisions and to, uh, you know, make sure if you're if you're new to the betting betting on sports to go with the money line at the beginning, you know, always bet the same amount, right. you know, go on the website to read the ten rules of betting, you know, uh, give us give us a follow and right. uh, and and stay stay up to date and you're gonna get some great picks, you're gonna get some excellent picks. Absolutely. You get the whole nine yard. We leave nobody behind. And we always end with Winston Churchill. You make a living from your labor, but you make a life, right? Higher level thinking is long-term thinking. You make a life from what you give. Thank you for learn listening to the ESBC Podcast Network. That's why this one cost us $800 And that cost $200 And I don't know what that cost I'm just shaking the work That's why I'm wearing the shoes And